Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Do you know the mountain we've climbed? Poppers, fireworks. <laughs> you are your own firework. We need no others. We have had, what's the number, Nick? It is one million. 2,066 downloads when we last looked. Of the podcast. Of the podcast. So we've been listened to over a million times. We're really impressed with that, aren't we? Yeah. We did, um, We wasn't sure like we'd get 10, 10 downloads, <laughs> let alone a million. And we have outstripped Megan. Eh? We outstripped Megan and Harry. They're not even doing theirs anymore. We're not no, Megan started her podcast We're not again. talking about the new one. We're talking about the old one, the old one that burned No, Megan died. has started her podcast again after the official period of mourning. And in her latest one, she was talking about racism in, like, Mike Myers films and so forth. But I talked about, and she's talking about really Chinese women Asian women, she's not talking about black women, she's talking about how they're always portrayed on telly and in film. But I did that first as well when I wrote about Ali McBeal. I said that Lucy Liu's character was this inscrutable Asian, devoid of warmth, devoid of emotion stereotype. So actually, I, Megan, before Megan. You did it first. You did it first. With my hair, my aunt hair. I was Megan before Megan was Megan. Oh, God, I'm not sure that's a good thing after Barbecue Gate. Barbecue Gate. Barbecue Gate, yes. There's this video on Twitter of Megan before she married Harry doing this sort of video of sexily barbecuing hamburgers. Isn't it in hot pants, sort of like, you know... Walking, strutting across with her hair flowing, taking her sunglasses Chewing her off. Lip. Let's talk about stereotypes, shall we? <laughs> let's, let's I know, you know, that. I kind of understand that you do things because you need the money and you want success. And often you do things you're not comfortable with. I mean, I remember after I did Big Brother, my friend Dawn, who obviously wasn't being made bankrupt, texted me and said, Liz, why are you devaluing your brand by doing Celebrity Big Brother? But sometimes you do things you're not comfortable with, and I've been dressed up as all sorts of different characters, haven't I? I had a face yeah, there. Yeah, You've done some pretty awful things, actually, on a But you do it because you have to, and it's your job. And I kind of think 
Yes, it's very easy to pillory Megan for doing that barbecue film. And the comments on Twitter are unbelievable. And I won't even repeat them. But sometimes, as a woman who isn't privileged, who hasn't been shoehorned into a job, who doesn't have parents who give her a job, who isn't posh, who hasn't inherited money and inherited furniture, you know who you are, rival columnist. She wondered, my rival columnist wondered in her newspaper, which doesn't sell as much as mine, um, why people buy sofas, because surely you inherit them. <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily even want the sofa that you inherit, would you? So, you know, I kind of do forgive Megan a little bit for doing stuff because sometimes you are forced into doing stuff and you're forced to do things that you think are silly and make you look silly and you're doing it for the money. Well, and do you know what? I mean, people get criticised, you know, for the jobs to sex workers or, you know, people get put down about their job. But they're out there with their heads held high earning money and supporting their families, themselves and their families. So... Frankly, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're not hurting anybody or animals. If you're out there working, seriously, respect. Yeah. Respect. Well, I've just finished reading Courtiers, The Hidden Power Behind the Crown by Valentine Lowe. I used to work with Valentine Lowe on the Evening Standard. What a lovely name, Valentine. Yeah, he is nice, actually. lovely? But now he's written a book about the crown and he does talk about the queen and philip and charles and everyone but like it like everyone i just rushed to the bit about megan did you yeah <laughs> i'm a little bit obsessed you are a bit aren't you <laughs> although there is one very 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 funny quote he does tackle the whole andrew situation and he says that in 2017 long before the Virginia Griffier or whatever her name is and the Newsnight interview, Andrew was interviewed for the Sunday Times and he was rude and incompetent. And so the journalist called the palace the night before this interview was published to warn them, this is not the interview they would be framing and hanging in the downstairs loo <laughs> at Buckingham Palace. Oops. And do you know what the senior press officer at the palace said about Andrew? Go on. We work with what we have. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Isn't that fantastic? That's we worth work. reading. I'm, I'm going to say for. that now about everything. We work with what we have. That's that's worth reading the book for, that comment. That is. So, I, yeah, I kind of have a bit of sympathy with Megan on that, and I've got a really good antidote that wasn't in the book because he didn't interview me. <laughs> but that I love. There's, you've probably read this in the extracts because it has been serialised. Megan, this is Megan did a me, really. On the tour of Australia with Harry. So now she's doing a you. You were doing a her, but now she's doing Megan's a you. Megan's doing a me because she's doing the royal tour of Australia, which is very tiring. She has to get up and dress and shake people's hands. She said, I can't believe I'm not getting paid for this. God. That's the sort of thing I'd say. But you get castles, don't you? And like a rich husband, you no, never have an electric got, bill. All Megan got was a cottage. But you never get an electric bill. You never have to worry about gas. Megan's team called her a narcissistic sociopath and they said we were played. The Royal Institution, the mistake they made was thinking she wanted to be happy. She wanted to be rejected 
because she was obsessed with the narrative from day one. So they were trying to make her happy. She didn't want to be happy. She wanted them to reject her because she wanted to feel like the victim and then run back to America. I think a lot of people are like that, aren't they? A lot of people are like that. Like you try and make them happy or you try and do stuff for them. And they actually don't want that. They want no. to be. They want to be able to complain. They don't want solutions. But the funniest yeah, bit was they got on the plane, not like the Omid Scobie book, which said they went with Air Canada. They went by private jet to Canada to stay over Christmas. Do you remember just before lockdown? Yeah. And they didn't even tell the nanny where they were going. And the nanny said, "On getting on board the private jet, what sort of weather should I pack for?" <laughs> She didn't even know where she was going. So this book, really, it is really good by Valentine Lowe. It's really about the people, the men in grey suits, as Diana called them, who manipulate and scheme and try and smooth the way. It's all the people who work in the court. That must be an awful job, though, because you've got these sort of loaded guns and you don't know whether they're going to fire in what direction or how at any time, and it's your job. But in the book, it's quite it. interesting because Harry, before he got married, and he had lots of ideas, he's very dynamic, and he wasn't precious at all. So they'd get him some sort of visit to some country, and he'd have to go via Rome, and he'd have to go economy, and he'd go in a normal plane, and because it was all last minute, and he never complained. He never said, why are we going by Rome? He was very up for anything, yeah. and he seems to have sort of changed. And I've also watched a new film out called Fall. Have you heard of that? I haven't. What's it about? It's about these two women who decide to climb a 2,000-foot TV aerial in the middle of a desert. Why? because they're mountaineers and the boyfriend got killed right at the beginning of the film. It was like that film with Sylvester Stallone. Do you remember the mountaineering one when the woman dies at the beginning? No, it's not called Everest. Oh, I know the one you mean, because I'm a big Sylvester Stallone But they weren't on Everest, were they? I don't know. It's a mountain. Anyway, I love films about mountaineering and I love The Alpinist, The Dawn Wall about free, free, free solo. They all climb without ropes and everything. So these two girls we decide... Eh? We should try that. That'd be good fun. Well, That'd no, gravity and you don't really, no. <laughs> well, at least if I fell first, you'd have something soft to land on. And it is a good film, but I paid a lot of money to stream it, to watch on my very long four 500-mile journey that I did on Tuesday, and it didn't have subtitles. So why is Apple discriminating against people who can't hear? And it was made in the, it was made this year. Why are there no subtitles? Yeah, I thought everything had subtitles. No, now, it doesn't. Much. And they don't warn you before you buy it that there's no subtitles. No, well, you wouldn't have bought it otherwise. No, because I can't hear it. No, no, that's ridiculous. I've got no idea what's going on. I still don't know why they're climbing up a pole though. What's the point of climbing up a pole? Because they wanted to scatter her boyfriend's ashes from the top of the pole. And then she got attacked by a vulture, so she eats the vulture. So the oh, vulture. But why do films not tell you whether or not they've got subtitles? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it. I thought that would be fairly, you know, we're so focused on being inclusive now that would be fairly sort yeah, of. Yeah, but normal. they can, they're excluding me. 
Comply, block them. I'm going to block them. I'm going to complain, complain. destroy them. That's Lizzie's favourite one. I will destroy them. Who have I destroyed recently? I don't know, but now you're going to destroy Apple. So what did you think of Harry Styles' film, Don't Worry Darling? Don't Worry Darling. Well, mm, Florence Pugh is amazing. She gives you've it. Learned her name I've now. learned it now. I've learned because you've corrected me so often when I've called her Florence Purr. She, you've corrected me. I've I've got it now. Um, she gives it everything, and she sort of saves the day. Chris Pine is beautiful. Has he got long hair or short hair? He's got short hair, very fifties, very handsome. There's lovely. He hasn't dresses. got very good skin though, has he? No, but he's got a lovely smile. But he hasn't eyes. got very good skin. He looks like he'd be dirty though, doesn't he? He looks if you sort of like had a night of passion with him. No, no, sadly not. He's not. He's not all Star Trekified. I do like him as Star Trek. Now, have you seen? Never mind the film, which sounds awful. Have you seen the viral clip of Chris Pine and Harry Styles? I have because it was you showed it to me because you. I didn't. There was a little bit of exchanging of bodily fluids. I don't know. I oh, I don't believe it. So, anyone who hasn't seen this, you need to attach it when you tweet this I'll podcast. Attach it. Chris Pine is sitting in his seat, and Harry Styles, I think he was at the Cannes Film Festival, and Harry Styles turns up and he appears to spit at Chris Pine. So, Chris Pine looks at his hand and then looks disgusted. And yeah. then there's all these various versions of it online where Harry Styles turns up and dumps a dead goat on Chris Pine. There's all these different variations. So did Harry Styles spit, spit on Chris Pine? And why? There could be a book about this. You could never mind you, you could investigate it. Then you'd have to you'd have So to what did you think from looking at the video? I, d- I didn't see any spit come anywhere. I don't Why know. was Chris Pine disgusted and looking at his I hands? I don't know. I don't know. But then I, I sort of, I just, I don't know what happened, so I'm not going to comment. But. Well, that's the most boring answer I've ever heard in my life. Well, I don't, yeah, but that's how we all get into trouble, isn't it? We don't know what's happened, so we make it up. And we invent things. I wouldn't mind Harry Styles spitting on me. Well, actually, in this film, I have to Prince. say... Prince. Yes. The late god that is Prince sweated on me. That's revolting. It's like... No. Oh. But you know what else I've done this week? Mm. I took Bostonator. I took Boris to daycare. It's literally... Did you leave him there? Well, no, not really. It, it's, it was like a meet and greet. But it's like taking your child, how people take their children to like nursery and leave them there. I don't know. Literally, I was demented. Boris loves other dogs, loves other dogs. And he's like super friendly. But on the lead, he can be a little bit over the top. He can sort of like be on his back legs barking because he wants to go play with them, which some people find a bit off-putting. So I thought if I took him to like daycare, he could play with lots of dogs and hopefully he'll learn that it's not so exciting. And off the lead... Are you not worried about disease? No, no, they're all all very careful. Uh, It's Fetch a Friend in Richmond and I have to say they've not long been open. And I thought they were excellent. I went in with him and he was ecstatic. Absolutely. He went off playing with the other dogs and they've got obstacles and toys and these two ladies are absolutely lovely they're cuddling the dogs and you know you just know that he's he's gonna have a lovely time so i went in reception to see how we'd be with me leaving 
I swear to God, he was fine. He was off. He was playing and pooing and weeing up everything. He was having a lovely time. And this woman must have thought I was mad because I was just going on and on and on about him. And he likes this and he doesn't like this and he does this and he does that. And do you think he's okay? Do you think we should check whether he's, he's panicking without me? And like the other woman that was in with the dogs was going, no, he's fine. He's fine. He doesn't think care. I should take Teddy? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're very like, I mean, they're very good, actually. What they did was when I, it was so funny because I'm going, I don't want any dogs attacking him. You know, he's, he's really friendly. I don't want any dogs attacking him and having a bad experience. And bless him, they put all the sort of dogs except for like a couple in in the back out the way because um, they've got zones. And then they let them through, you know, Have one you at a time. Teddy? And Teddy's not, Teddy's, Teddy's not overly thrilled with other dogs at the minute, is he? Bless him. I mean, it's sort of be kill or cure, wouldn't it? But I don't know who for. No. <laughs> but no, he had a lovely time. And just seeing his little running around and, oh, my God, I love him so much. But how people leave their kids, I don't know. I've, I literally was demented. So he's going to go once a week to play with other dogs and have play dates. And I'm hoping that will calm him down. Do you with have other to pay? Dogs. Yeah, but it's very reasonable. It's, it's £15 for an afternoon. And... The facilities are fantastic, and I actually think Boris will eat 15 quid's worth of treats in that afternoon. I don't think they're going to make a profit on Boris, because I think he's just going to eat the way through the treat bag. Going back to the Queen, do you remember I was sent to go to the join the queue for to go past the coffee? You were, yeah. Unlike some journalists we can mention who didn't queue... Caitlin Moran. Holly. <laughs> Philip. Anyway, this column is called In Which I'm Turfed Out Onto the Street. And there's a picture of me in the rain. And my hair frizzed up like Monica when she went to Hawaii. Readers often contact me saying, Liz, you live on a different planet. And yes, it does sound glamorous, spending time in Marbella with the cast of Towie, or travelling to Paris for the trial of John Galliano, jetting off to the Oscars. Would you like to know the reality? I was asked to cover the 30-hour queue for the British public to pay their respects to the Queen and file past her coffin in Westminster Hall. If you are important or part of the Royal Press Pack or an MP or Kathleen Moran, you're whizzed inside, not me. It was like a Victoria Beckham catwalk show all over again. Get to the end of the Elizabeth line. So with my sandwich, having asked the policeman who took my hand and took me to the end, I, I joined the queue. you the policeman to take you to the end of the queue, didn't you? He took me to the end of the queue. Lovely policeman. The Telegraph had wheeled out Esther Ranson early in the week, who intimated that old mourners would die, that there would be, and I quote, suffering. Dear. None of which was true. I was walking past the coffee and after just six hours of jolly banter, despite us all being asked repeatedly by volunteers from the Samaritans wearing fluoro tabards, how our mental health was bearing up. Get a grip. Why did we need the Samaritans for a queue? We were all jolly. I was to say, every time I saw it on, on the we telly, were all jolly. people seem really No cheerful. one was throwing themselves into the Thames for God's sake, this country's gone mad. <laughs> the zigzag 
into Westminster Hall was almost empty. So, come 8pm, having had my pictures taken, the photographer kept saying, try and make it look like it's midnight. And I was going, well, how do I do that? <laughs> I was in London, so come 8pm, having been on my feet since 6am and queued on my feet for six hours with only a jam sandwich from Eileen, with nowhere to stay. Because yeah, you thought you'd be queuing all night. I thought I'd be queuing all night, but obviously the went. Telegraph and Esther Ransom were lying. I'd booked Soho House Kettner's the next night for a colleague's leaving do, and I'd left my laptop and heavy case in storage and reception. I walked back through Soho like an injured pigeon, feet hurting, tired, hungry. Nick, my assistant and IT expert... <laughs> I am everything had called earlier to beg Soho House for a room anywhere in their group, but no luck. She scoured every hotel website, nothing. Because it was the Queen had died, every hotel was taken up with people who were queuing, people from NBC, from Australia, yeah. news crews, everything. It was, a really, packed, wasn't it? it was a really, really unusual night. I got back to the hotel and I collapsed at reception. I told the young woman, who knows me very, very well, as I stay there about once a week, note, I spent roughly £700 there to attend this newspaper's 40th birthday party and I hired a stylist. You did hire a stylist. I said my story had been cut short. There was no 30-hour queue. Blame Esther Ranson. And could I have a shower and sit in a corner to write my piece on my laptop overnight until my room was ready the next morning? I said, I'll buy dinner. I'll buy a full veg vegan breakfast. Of course, she said. So she showed me down to the basement. I had a shower, went and sat upstairs, got my laptop out, ordered my dinner. At midnight, lights started to be turned on. That's always a worrying sign, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, that is the signal, isn't it? You will have to move to reception, the barman said, which I did. I sat there with my computer. At 1am, the young man on duty overnight came over to say, you have to leave. No one is allowed overnight without a room. But at 8pm, the young lady said it was fine. I had dinner, I'm booked in tonight, it was already past midnight, and I've already paid for it. I had my wedding at Soho House, Babington House, in 2002. I stay here every week. I'm loyal, you know me. Actually, I stayed there in 1998. That was the first time I stayed in a Soho House, Babington House. I was editor of Marie Claire and my publisher took me on a train to Babington House and I stayed in the room with the eaves with the hot tub on the roof and it was a big launch of Clarins and it was also Thierry Mugler perfume and I thought this place is beautiful so I then took my boyfriend Nurple with me a few weeks later and when I phoned up I always am very specific about the room very specific. So I don't just book Babington House. I want a particular room. So for my friend Kerry, very willing, on the, my wedding, I said she has to have the room that Madonna had with the bath in the room. So she got that. So bear in mind, I've stayed at Ho Soho House, New York, London, White City, Los Angeles. Everywhere. And at one in the morning... They said, you have to leave. And then the man behind reception, because I said, but the woman said it was fine. I can write my copy 
overnight. You're not actually breakfast. hurting anyone, are you? You're just sitting no. there. So when I said, but the woman on reception who let me have a shower said it was fine, he, do you know what he said to me? What did he say? I don't think. Maybe you misheard her as you are deaf. <gasps> That's red rag to a ball, isn't it? That's abuse. Oh. They turned someone out with no legs onto the street. Well, there is, I'm sorry, but there is a moral responsibility. It's, exactly. it's a very difficult situation, wasn't it? The whole of London was booked out. It was a very unusual I didn't situation. know I'd have to stay overnight because Esther Ranson said the queue was 30 hours. I thought I'd be walking all night. I had my copy to file. I had nowhere to go. You tried everywhere. 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 I, in fact, the, the, the problem was, was because it was getting later and later, the websites um didn't work because they, they didn't thought we were understand to you meant that night no. they thought you meant the next night exactly so well, I, I already had a room for the next night i was phoning everywhere and of course they weren't answering because it was like but there is a moral responsibility to a woman on her own in london who they've night. known stays at their hotel and he said yeah. i had to leave at one in the morning and i think if it was any woman on the street you just don't chuck them out in the middle of London with nowhere to go. I, I think it. I think it's you know it's dangerous. It's just it's not on. Anyway, he, I don't blame the staff who were on duty that night, the dorm and the man behind reception, because they've always been so nice to me. Yeah. And hello, Liz, welcome back. I'll get you a taxi. How are you? It wasn't their fault. It was the fault of the manager who was in charge. So the reception man went off and called the manager. He came back and he shook his head. So, I said, water running down my face, you were going to turn a client of 24 years standing out into the night with nowhere to go. Everywhere's full because of the Queen's funeral. There's nothing I can do, he said. I am never staying here again, I said. Oh, and then he added, your room tomorrow, uh, tonight, because it was one in the morning, I'm sorry, it's non-refundable. <laughs> the nice man who called taxis came over and said he was trying to find me somewhere. Another male member of staff turned up, felt sorry for me, and said they'd found a room in Fleet Street. At 2am, they helped me get into an Uber. The driver couldn't find Fleet Street, let alone the hotel, and he turfed me out into the road. I finally found the Z or Z hotel. It was locked. I rang the bell, sobbing. Eventually, a young man unlocked the door. He took about half an hour to check me in. I told him I could write a novel in the time it was taking and he took payment and I descended to my room in the basement. It didn't have a window. There was no cotton wool. There was a bar of soap the size of a stamp. Why are poor people deemed unworthy of shampoo? It was 3am. I'd been hemorrhaging money all day. I'd been on my feet since six and as I'm able to remove my mascara, I have never been to bed without taking off my mascara. I think it's against the law, actually, to go to bed in oh, your no. mascara. So you've never come in after no, a night out no, and just no, lit? No, it's dirty, it's dirty, it's dirty, you're um, dirty. I've, I've, I've left an imprint of what my face looks like with my makeup on my pillar. No chance if I'm coming in late at night, am I going to bugger about that? The next morning, I had to go down for breakfast as there was no room service. I returned well before 11 to shower and pack. They'd locked me out. I had to go back to reception. They said, oh, well, you hadn't paid £10 for late checkout. It's like, it's not like you're a client or a guest paying the money. It's like you're a criminal. 
well, you haven't paid pen 10 minutes. I said, but I told him I was checking out late because I checked in at 2 a.m. Honestly, I nearly punched someone. So please never tell me my job is glamorous, that I get special treatment, that life is a round of parties and photo shoots. Never mind Prince Charles. I filed copy on the afternoon my mum died. You did. I can confirm I did. that. I did. You did. I am never staying at Soho House Group again. And then when I gave the head of communications global the chance to respond, she emailed me, she's back, and she said, thank you for the right to reply. And she spelt right, W-R-I-T-E. Yeah, that was a bit unfortunate, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a little bit unfortunate that she did that. And then there's some other bloke called me and he said, what can we do to show we care? I said, well, don't turf someone who's been staying there since 1998 out into the street. Even if you wasn't, even if you wasn't, you're a woman on your own. And, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I obviously wasn't a lunatic. No. So I'm afraid I said to Tom from Soho House, if during the Second World War, George Orwell... Bombs falling, turned up at Claridge's to file his copy for the Times. They'd have welcomed him with open arms. Here, George, have a typewriter, sit down. Glass of champagne. You know, when I had to file copy for the Daily Mail about the new Louis Vuitton store on Bond Street, and I had 20 minutes to do it, and I'm running down Bond Street, and I went into Claridge's, and I said to the man at Claridge's, could I sit in the corner and file my copy about Louis Vuitton? I've only got 20 minutes. He gave me an office, the coat of the Wi-Fi and a glass of champagne. Class. Mm. But, it, I, you know, obviously they, the, the guys there didn't have the control. They didn't have the say-so. And the guys who worked there are very sweet and they know me really well. It wasn't their fault. It was whoever was the manager on, on duty at that time. But because I've lost my home and because I had not had periods of not having any money, it sort of triggered my PTSD, which is very, feeling very vulnerable. And I'm sure lots of people feel vulnerable in the moment with mortgages going up and electricity going up and every food going up. Most people are two weeks away from being homeless. They're one yeah. pay packet away from being homeless. They are, most well, people. PR sent an email to me yesterday that said that Google searches for um, mortgages and, you know, just like remortgaging that have gone up over 200% in, in the last week. I mean, that's and shocking, I really object to someone I didn't vote for, no one voted for, destroying my life and other people's lives. I really object to that. No. Yeah, I, I wasn't happy with the whole process. I think it should have just gone to a general election. Yeah. I really do. I really do. I didn't like her or him, either of them. I didn't... Not the time of day for either of them. Well, and I, now we're in this economic crisis. I think Rishi was a safe pair of hands. He's he's in... Because he's so rich, he's, he's non-corruptible. You can't corrupt him because he doesn't need it. No. You know, and he stayed away from conference. And I was really, because I've been to Tory conference before, I've been to Labour conference, and I was quite glad I didn't have to go this time because I was just so disillusioned with the whole thing. I just thought, why is Kwasi Kwarteng going to a champagne party with 
with investment bankers who are gambling on our downfall. I just don't think that's very moral. No, it's not very moral, not at all. You can read this week's diary in full on Man on Sunday's You magazine. And I, so I was sent out into the street with all my staff. And I think the reason it affected me so badly was because I'm this far from being homeless, as most of us are, apart from the ruling classes. And it took me back to an archive piece, and this is January 2010. So you can see how long I've been struggling, everyone. This column was in New Magazine, it's a, and it begins, Oh dear, I don't think I've ever been in such a bad place. I don't know how I've landed where I have. It's ridiculous, stupid. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. I got to London for work on Monday morning. I booked myself into a cheap hotel for the night. This is one just in um, by Westfield in Shepherd's Bush. So I had to work on Tuesday, plus the party I promised myself I'd go to as I never have any fun anymore. I arrived at the hotel reception with my Michael Kors tote, which he'd given to me, my black Prada suitcase, not what it was, given it's been chewed by Gracie, and my laptop. I've stayed at this hotel many, many times. It wasn't Toho House. They know me. They frequently valet part my BMW and polished it. The man at reception asked me for a credit card so that he could reserve the money on it. Sure, I said. I gave him a card, declined. I gave him another one, declined. I told him I have a switch, but he said his machine wouldn't accept it. What's a switch? I don't know. I've no idea what a switch is. An officious woman came from a back room in her little suit. You will have to walk to a cash point, she told me. In these shoes, I said. I left my suitcase and toddled off down the road under an underpass. I don't normally do underpasses. Well, no. And found the cash point. I fed in my debit card. I think a switch is a dip debit card. Is it? Is yeah, that an old-fashioned old thing? thing? Yeah. The amount you can withdraw today is nil, the machine told me. I tried another card. Nothing. Another. Trying not to cry, I made my way back to the hotel. The woman was still there. I couldn't get any cash, I said. I'm sure it'll be working tomorrow. She fetched the manager, who said, sorry, but we can't let you have a room. But what shall I do, I asked her. She said I could sit in the bar until I thought of something. <laughs> oh, well, at least you could sit in the bar there. Yeah, I wasn't ejected. No, it's better than so her house. Is there someone you can phone, she asked me. I thought for a bit. Not my ex-husband. He never had any money. No. He had an electron card from Santander. That was it. Is that an old-fashioned thing as well? Yeah. I thought about phoning Kerry, my old PA, but I couldn't figure out how I would get to her house miles away in Dulwich. I sat in the trendy bar, surrounded by people chatting and eating and drinking, and I realised that not only could I not afford a room, I couldn't afford to order anything to eat. I had £6 in my wallet, and all the drinks were more expensive than that. I thought about all the money I'd wasted over the years. Exotic holidays I never enjoyed, a stupid wedding at Soho House. I always picked up the tab when I met friends for a drink or dinner. I used to be content with living in a flat in Hackney with a 36-year-old Beetle. What has happened? I sort of know what happened. I sold my beautiful London house and bought a farm, thinking it would be idyllic, easy. I would live off the land, grow veg, look after my own horses. 
I didn't even think through what it would cost to keep the place warm. Do you know how much it costs? £800 a month. That was unbelievable, wasn't it? I now live in a dump, have no money, I'm freezing cold and cannot even afford petrol. Thinking of my car, which they valet parked in the past, I wish I'd driven to London that day rather than caught the train. At least I would have been able to sleep in my car. I sat at the table and I felt really, really scared. This is not a joke. This is happening. A waitress came up to me. Can you believe this happened to me last week during the Queen's funeral again? I don't know what's going on there. No. I couldn't work any harder. No. No. No one helps me. No. A waitress came up to me. You can't sit here without ordering something or being a guest, she said in a heavy Polish accent. Okay, I said, I'm going. I picked up my bag and collected my suitcase from reception. I thought about all the people I've helped in the past and I realised that I did not have one single person in the world whom I could call on. I stood in my heels outside the hotel, buffeted by the wind, and I had no idea what I was going to do. Where would I spend the night? How would I ever get home? I just think it's an inhumane way to treat people. I really do. I think if if hotels have got rooms that aren't used, they should they should invite people that are living on the streets yeah. to use the rooms for the night. I but really do. That hotel wouldn't even let me sit there. So her house wouldn't let me sit there. No. no. And I just you know the room that I hired when I went to the male's fortieth birthday party is five hundred pounds. I bought white pepper guide dinner that was a hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. Days before they chucked me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just think I, the big businesses have a responsibility. If they've got rooms that are free, invite people off the streets for a night. But I wasn't even asking for a room. I was just writing my copy in a corner. And as I say, Claridge's, when I had to file a copy in a hurry, they gave me an office. Yeah. They gave me the Wi-Fi. They brought me a drink. You know, and I think... A real class in a person is how generous they are. Yeah. You know, and I, I I, do regret losing everything and I do regret being generous to people who turn around and bit me on the arse and were nasty about me and grabbing. And when you have money, you have to be very careful that people don't take it away from you. But I can hold my head high and say I've always, always done the right thing. Always. I think as well, the trouble is with these, these corporate businesses. Even when I was being made bankrupt, I said to my sister, how can I help you? How yeah. can I help you? I'll still try and help you. Yeah. No one helped me. Yeah. Bockham. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Would you like to know what your readers are saying? Yeah. Well, we had we had quite a lot of readers actually about the HRT conversation we were having, and we've got Poppy who says thank you so much for talking about HRT so openly. 
I was so hopeful it would help me. Everyone talks about it as if it's a miracle cure, but like you, I had every possible side effect. I'm sticking with it as my mood has improved, but having always been a size 8, I'm finding this bloating miserable. For the first time, I feel enormous and so uncomfortable. My breasts hurt and the headaches are off the scale. I hope it improves for both of us. Well, Davina was on the one show this week. She didn't talk about that, did she? No. She does in her book. She does talk about she didn't get on with the HRT she originally had and so she had to look at other options. And then once she got on the right option for her, it dramatically improved. But um, I had a conversation with Poppy because um, I went back to her and you know, thanked her for, for her message. And she said she's tried all the different gels. She's tried everything and she really can't find anything. And it's, it is, it's, it's really disappointing because it is sort of like meant to be this miracle thing. This is how it's sort of done in the media. It's, you're going to feel better. And I have, I mean, I've had to stop taking it. I feel so awful and I've had every single bloody symptom that comes with it. So we don't talk about that side of things and I think people are taking it like I did expecting oh great I'm going to feel better now and a lot of us don't so I think it's quite important to talk about that and what to do in but that situation but if they're just giving you back the natural hormones that you sh- that you had when you were younger why does it have all these awful effects I don't know and it could be I mean I, I wasn't tested to see if I was menopausal so it could be I don't need it or you know or why would you prescribe people have an chemotherapy to someone who doesn't have cancer that doesn't make any sense i think they just make assumptions that at my age you're either pre-menopausal perimenopausal menopausal post-menopausal you're something in the menopause range so you know let's let's try it but yeah and we had another um email from richard who said dear nick i'm so sorry to hear you're feeling so ill listening on to you on the podcast has made me realize that i could have been kinder to my wife when she was going through it I don't think I had anything near the empathy I should have had. I should have taken more notice of what she was going through. Instead, I thought she was just being unreasonable and I couldn't do anything right. And now I'm really sorry for that. So that's that's sort of quite interesting because I think a lot of the times we don't know what's happening to us. We get tetchy or, you know, things are quite overwhelming and you feel ill. So it, it makes you more, everything's more difficult. But the men in our lives or, or the people around us, their partners... Um, our family just assume that we're just being a pain don't they so I thought that was sort of an, an interesting take it was nice to hear from from a guy's perspective and and I hope Richard that you're like making it up to your wife a lot a lot well that's it from us this week if you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's diary the podcast why not visit melplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.